Now, we are towards the end of a series. We have one more Sunday in this series that we're calling Three Little, World, Three Little Words, Faith, Hope, and Love, Words That Define Us. And it's based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. In other words, remember that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul had been talking, that we've been writing to a church. The church had been defining themselves and defining Christianity through spiritual gifts and then, you know, kind of ranking them. If you have this spiritual gift, you're better than this person. And to be in the kingdom, you have to have this. You have to speak in tongues. You've got to prophesy or whatever else was going on. And Paul writes and says, it's all nonsense. I'll show you a better way. And he talks about 1 Corinthians 13, the, the chapter we always use in weddings that has nothing to do with weddings, okay? It was written to a church. It was not written to husbands and wives. It doesn't mean that husbands and wives shouldn't do this. But you understand sometimes we see it as just a, a marriage thing when in fact it's a church thing that this is how we're supposed to be in the church and in the world. And he ends that whole chapter by saying this and now these three things remain. After he's talked about love and he's talked about, about knowledge and he's talked about things that will pass away, he says these three things right now on this planet here, this is what remains for us. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these in love. These three words define who we are as Christ followers. At least they should. In other words, if someone says to you, well, what's Christianity all about? What does it mean to be a Christ follower? You say what? It means faith, hope, and love. One more time. We're four, this is the fourth week into this one, so let's do that a little faster, shall we? Someone says, okay, um, what's Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? And you say it means three words, and it means Did you notice there wasn't a, a, a mention of rules in the, anywhere in there? Isn't that something? It means faith, hope, and love. We are defined by faith, hope. And we are people of faith, hope, and love. That's who we are supposed to be. So what we did, we, we took this a couple weeks ago, and we started by, by saying this. We're into your sermon notes if you'd like to follow along. Faith starts me on this journey. It doesn't mean that faith isn't important. Love is the greatest, and we're going to tell you why before you're all done here. But it starts with faith because faith is what starts me on this journey with God. If you don't have faith, you are not on a journey with God. It cannot be done because this is what the Bible says. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. There it is. That's faith. It starts the journey. And this is what we learned. Faith is trusting that there is someone much greater than myself and that he is very very, very good, which frees me up. Remember, it means I don't have to have all the answers. I get to say, I don't know. Why did God allow that? I don't know. I don't understand. But I know my Father, and my Father is very, very, very good. Why does the Scripture take the stance that it does on certain... I don't know. I... God doesn't tell me to use my own mind in a lot of these things. Now, I use my mind to understand the Word, and of course, He, he created us as intelligent beings, but there are times when I look into the Word and I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why you would say this, Father. Why, why is this important to you? But there it is in the Word, and so I'm going to follow it. I'm going to do it because I'm not smart enough. And did you ever think about the fact that if you really could comprehend God, if, if everything that God said made sense to you, God would be no greater than the scope of your imagination and intelligence, which would mean he'd be pretty small. But the fact is God is so much greater than who we are as human beings. I don't understand him. He's so completely different. But this is what I do know. 
And by faith, I trust, because faith isn't just believing. Remember, it's investing. And I invest my life in Him, and I invest my trust in Him. And I trust not only that He's different and He understands, but that He is very, very, very good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay? That was faith. Moving on then. Last week we took a look at this. Hope, okay, faith starts me on that journey. Hope keeps me on the journey. Faith begins it, but hope is the thing that that anchors me right to this journey to make sure that I'm going to complete the journey because remember, the people who win are the people who finish. It's not the people who finish first or the people who finish with the most. It's just the people who finish the race win. All you got to do is finish. The only way you can lose is to give up on the journey. Just finish the journey with Jesus Christ. You may crawl across that finish line, you may run, you may be rejoicing, you may be weeping. It doesn't matter. Just finish it. This is what Scripture says. We who have run for our very lives to God and have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. We talked about the problem with with the word hope because in the English language, what does hope mean? Hope means fingers crossed. I hope I get a new bicycle for Christmas. I hope... We get a tax break. I hope, fingers crossed, that's hope. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope has no fingers crossed. Biblical hope, the idea of hope in the Bible is this. Biblical hope is being certain of something that has not yet happened. Okay, are are you ready for this one? This is going to sound strange, but it's true. I hope to die. It's going to happen, guys. It will I also know that when I die, I'm going to be with my Father, so I hope for heaven. But I am certain that death is coming for me one day. Hopefully a long time away. That's that, okay, that's the English word. Hopefully it's going to be for a long, long time. But you know what? It's coming. But I know it's on the other side. I hope for heaven. Not like this. Oh, I hope I make it to heaven. I hope there really is a God. No, it's there. I just don't have it yet. That is the biblical idea of hope. And when you see hope in the Bible, that's what they mean. When it talks about the hope of our salvation, I'm saying, boy, I really hope that the cross of Jesus Christ was enough for us. No, it was. It's something we just don't have. Okay, so faith starts me on the journey. Hope keeps me on the journey. Here it is. The third word. Love is what I do on the journey. Faith, hope, and love. Faith starts me. Hope keeps me. Love is what I'm going to do on that journey. Take a look at this passage right here. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God. Because God is love. So you can't know Him if you don't love. They go hand in hand. If we don't live out lives of love, we don't even really know God. Love is what we do on this journey. This is what Jesus said. Let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way that I've loved you. Love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. This is what we're supposed to be doing in this world while we're on the journey. Okay, we started a journey. The journey won't end until we leave this body, we leave this earth, and boom, we're in heaven. In between now and then, God calls us to love. And then 
in this passage we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says that this word love, I mean, the three things are great, but love he calls the greatest of these three. It's the greatest. I mean, faith starts you, hope's great, but love is better than the other two. I'm going to give you three reasons why that's true. Ready? Here we go. First reason that love is the greatest is because love is the point of living. Let me show you. When Paul was writing to this church, and of course the church was thinking that this was important and the spiritual gift was important and ranking everybody and this person was better than that person and kind of the whole church is like stratified, you know. This person is better because they preach or this person is better because they speak in tongues and all this person does is help. And Paul says, it's nonsense, it's done, I'll show you a better way. And then he does this. Listen, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. He just said, you know, the whole point of living. Let me see if I, I've kind of rewritten these for you in a little more modern terms. Let's see if you resonate with these, okay? This is the Doug Bailey version. Here we go. Even if I'm able to speak with elegance in every language on heaven and earth, and I don't really love, I'm just like a leaf blower at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. <laughs> don't you hate that? Go to your neighbor and say, what were you thinking or what were you drinking at 6 o'clock in the morning, Saturday? And yet you get that great, that's what happens when we talk and, and we're eloquent, but there's no love in our lives, it just grates on people. How about this one? Even if I'm the smartest person on earth, with the power to do the impossible so that everyone is amazed at what I can do, if I don't really love, I'm just an empty suit. Do you know what it means when we look at someone and say an empty suit? It means they're a non-person. It means, so what? You look good, but there's no substance. Or how about this? Even if I give headline-making donations so that countless millions will know my name and generosity for hundreds of years to come, if I don't really love, I might as well have not existed at all. That's what he's saying. See, love's the point. Love is the point. If we don't have lives of love, if we don't exhibit biblical love, what's the point? The answer? There is none. You exist, but so what? Biblical love isn't an add-on or an optional equipment for, the, for a Christ follower. If we're going to be on this journey, we have to have lives of love. It is the point. We're not just sitting around waiting. That's not what we're called to do. Sometimes, unfortunately, that's how the Christian life has been, has been characterized. Maybe even that's what we've done within the church to say, okay, have you started a relationship with God? Great. That's wonderful. You started by faith. Now stick around, and then one day you'll die, and you'll go to heaven, and what we're going to do is we're going to keep you entertained for the next 30 or 40 years with potlucks and other things like that, and, and we'll just keep you so busy that you can't lose focus, and then boom, you'll be dead, and we'll have a nice service for you. We'll take you and put you in the ground. We'll come back to the church and eat potato salad. And that'll be it. 
And Jesus would say, no. We're not here to wait. We're not just waiting from the moment the journey starts to, to him. What we do in between. Jesus would say, I created you to love. I redeemed you to love. I, I cha- I'm changing your character so that, so that you can actually love with my love to the world. That's why you're here. I'll give you another reason why, why love is the greatest. How about this? Because love is what God ever really wanted all along. It's what he always wanted. For people of faith, you have to start with faith, but for people of faith, there are two big questions. Question number one, what is God like? Now, that's a whole different sermon series, and all you have to do is look to Jesus, and you'll find out what God is like. But how about the second one? What does God want? Well, that's uh, actually a very easy answer. Love. Now, sometimes we look at the Bible. I mean, this whole great big book, and I have Bibles in my office, but now, of course, I carry, this is my Bible, several translations, Greek, everything else. That's, I keep this around with me. I don't know that it's any better, but at least it's always with me. You look at that great big thick book, and you, you see rules and regulations and, and all the stuff that's going on, and, and you begin to think that, wow, that's what God wants. He wants us to be religious, and he wants us to, to be here on a Sunday morning and give us a certain amount of money and stay away from this kind of stuff and do this kind of stuff. And, and it turns into this religion of rules and regulations, and that's not at all correct. Take a look at this. I want you to see this. This is in Romans. Let no debt remain outstanding except a continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. This is in your handouts. Would you just underline that word fulfilled? Fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there, okay, whatever other commandment. He just didn't have room to list them all. are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says this, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. How many laws are there in the Bible? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now you say, but what about the other one, to, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Okay, but then how do we dis- demonstrate loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? You know how? It isn't by coming in here and singing songs. Because believe me, God has heard better. What he wants to see is us loving one another. That's how we demonstrate our love for God. See, the Bible puts it even more succinctly right here in Galatians. The entire law the partial of the law, the sum of the law, a little bit of the law, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. I didn't write this, okay? This is from Galatians. If this is true, then where did all this judging come from that the church is known for? Where did all this condemnation come from that that sometimes the church wants to to heap on people? What's up with trying to force everyone to live by by the, the rules of God that can only be lived up to if you have the Spirit of God and if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have any hope anyway. Well, it didn't come from Jesus. 
Jesus did talk about the two commands. Paul is letting us know that both of these commands can be wrapped up in one, but this is what Jesus said. Someone said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And then later on, after Jesus had left this world and the Spirit comes, he says, Now let me tell you, I can even bring it down to one. This is what God really wants. We want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I've told you this before, but let's be really clear. You do not have a pastor who will sign a petition or help any of you get the Ten Commandments put up anywhere. Don't come to me and say, we want the Ten Commandments right there in the city center. I wouldn't give you any help at all. We don't even have the Ten Commandments on the wall and I wouldn't allow them. Do you know why? Because Jesus already said, here's two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbors yourself. Everything else is built on it. And then Paul, through the Spirit, says, let me even bring it down to even something even closer. Love your neighbor as your... Now, if you wanted that somewhere, that one, that's a petition I'd sign. That's, I'd give money to have love your neighbor as yourself right there in the city center. But the Ten Commandments... How many of you even know the Ten Commandments? They could list them all. You know why we don't teach them to? I mean, they're there. You don't need them. You need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. That's why love, one of the reasons that love is the greatest, it's what God has, everything in the Old Testament, all the Ten Commandments, everything that's been said has been trying to say to us, would you just love God? And would you love your neighbor as yourself? That's what God is looking for. All righty? Ready to go on? Third reason that love is the greatest, and it's simply this. Love will last forever. Any of you familiar with uh, Dante's uh, Divine, Economy, uh, uh, Divine Comedy? And then there, there's this epic poem called uh, The Inferno, and it's about you know, heaven and hell, and there's this, this poem, this, these sayings that are right on the outside of, of hell. As you go into hell, there is this sign that warns you about hell. And the very last line says this, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And why? Because it's too late now. But you know what hit me this week? They have the very same sign on the gates of heaven. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. But they also have the sign that says, Abandon all faith, ye who enter here. You know why? You don't need them anymore. Hope is here for the end of the journey. But at the end of the journey, I don't need it. When I walk into heaven, I don't need hope. I got it. I don't need faith. I see him. I will leave all of my hope and all of my faith right on the doors of heaven. I don't need them anymore. But guess what I'm going to walk into heaven with for the rest of my life and for the rest of all existence and for the rest of all eternity? It's a four-letter word, and we say it's love. It lasts forever. We take that with us. We dwell in a land of love. We see love. We're surrounded by love. We don't have hope anymore because we don't need it. There's God. We don't have faith anymore. I don't need it. There's God. 
but the love of God permeates all of heaven and everything in it. It's amazing. That's why the Bible says this. All the special gifts and powers from God will someday come to an end, but love goes on forever. Someday prophecy and speaking in unknown tongues and special knowledge in these gifts, they will disappear. Now, that's why love is the greatest, okay? It's going to go on and on and on and on forever. Now, part of the reason that we have a struggle with this love and trying to understand love and living out that love and and expressing love and being defined by love is because we've done the same thing with the word love that we've done with the word hope. It's our English language that has gotten in the way. Remember, hope, English hope is, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, hope, where biblical hope is, I'm certain. English love can actually be spelled L-U-V, as in I love your baby. And uh, the biblical is L-O-V-E. And it has nothing to do with I love your baby. It's love. So try this on for size. Ready? So we can define it. Biblical love. It has three parts, by the way. And we're going to talk about this. The first part is this. Biblical love is humbly seeking the best for another. Which has very little to do with I love you, baby. Biblical love is humbly seeking not arrogantly, <laughs> humbly seeking the best for another. Jesus said this, so in everything, do it to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law. Jesus just rewrote all the law and the prophets, not even using the word love. He just now describes it. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Love is always other person focused. I'm seeking the very best for you. Which brings us to the second part of love. And here it is. I am seeking the best for you regardless of what I feel. And this is the one that really flies in the face of our culture. I I just don't feel like I love you anymore. Well, boo-hoo. That means you probably never did. What it means is you, you loved L-U-V, but that went away, didn't it? Love, L-O-V-E. I'm going to love you and I'm going to seek the best for you even if I don't like you. Even if I don't want to. And the best example is the example of Jesus. Remember this? is just before he's going to be arrested, just before he's going to be crucified. And he brings a few people with him to pray because his soul is troubled, because he knows what's going to happen. And we read this, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what I don't want to die for them. I don't. I don't want to go through the pain of crucifixion I don't want to do it. It will hurt. It will be humiliating. My own creation will spit in my face, call me names, beat me bloody, and nail me to a cross. And it will hurt. And all the sins of the world be piled on my shoulders. And if there's another way to do this, I'd rather do it 
a different way. I don't want to. But he did. He did. When it became clear to him that his father said, this is it. I need you to do this. Jesus said, okay. Didn't mean he felt any better about it. It's not like he stood up singing and went, oh, I can hardly wait. But he did it. Because he was seeking the best for you and for me. And the best was going to have to be the cross. We'll look more at this uh, in depth more at this next week as we, we conclude this whole thing. But, but perhaps the greatest demonstration of love is when we're seeking the best for someone that, quite frankly, you'd rather just see rotten hell. You ever felt like that about someone? You'd rather just see them rotten hell. Right now in our country, we, we've made enemies of people in the Middle East, and they've made enemies of us. We see the atrocities, and isn't there a part of you that just says, man, I hope those people rot in hell. Some young man walks into a, a prayer meeting, prays for 45 minutes with them, and then stands up and shoots and kills, what are the nine? Wounded one. And isn't there a part of you that says, man, there's a special place in hell for people like you. Don't you rather, wouldn't you just rather see him rot in hell? Can I tell you something? God wouldn't. Not for a moment. Not for a single moment does God look at them and say, I hope you rot in hell. God looks at every one of them. He looked at the shooter. And this is going to step on some toes, but we, need, we just need to say it because it's the truth. He's going to look at every member of ISIS and not one of them does he say, I want you to rot in hell. Every single one he says, I want you to come to repentance. I seek the best for you. I gave my son for you. I want you to turn to my son and be forgiven and enter into this journey and come home. Can you do that yet? Can you believe that yet? Some of us in, our, in America, we can't. I mean, we, just, we look at what's happening around the world and we see them as the enemy and say, I hope you rot. But remember, when you say that, you are stepping outside the grace and mercy of God and don't expect Him to join you in that because God looks at them and says, I don't. I hope they turn to Jesus. Here's the final part of love. Even a great personal cost. Biblical love is humbly seeking the best for another, regardless of what I feel, even at great personal cost. See that? Love, biblical love, true love is going to cost you something. If it doesn't cost you anything, it isn't love. It's going to cost you. You're going to have to invest yourself into someone else. You're going to have to take your identity. You're going to have to take your safety. You're going to have to take everything and invest in that person and know that they could smash it, they could crash it, they can hurt you. You cannot keep a wall up and love. You're going to have to be open and honest and you're going to have to be vulnerable and if you can't, then you can't love. It's going to cost you something. And every now and then, someone's going to take that precious gift that you give them and go, bam! And we've all felt that, haven't we? when we've been hurt and crushed. Well, welcome to love. And then sometimes what happens is we say, that hurts too much, so I'll, I'll keep that wall up. And then you're not loving the way you're supposed to love. You weren't even, you're not doing what you were created to do. You're going to be hurt if you're going to love. There will be 
a cost. Jesus said this, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You know what? It costs something to love. It does. Biblical love. It costs. So there it is. That's love. It is seeking the best for another, even regardless of how I feel. I may want to seek the best for you. That's easy, isn't it? And there be some people I wouldn't want to seek the best for at all. I'd rather they just rot in hell. But I'm going to love them, which means I'm still going to seek the best. Even if it costs me. That's love. Next week when we get together, we're going to look more in in depth at the practical ideas of love. What does it mean? What can we do for love? It's even described right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to take a look at that, this is what love is. You'll be able to recognize it. We'll get there next week. For now, we're going to finish up with this. Because I want you to remember that maybe if you're having trouble with the motivation for loving, and I understand that, write this down because this is important as we close. Biblical love is what I do because of what's been done. Say that with me, ready? Biblical love is what I do because of what's been done. One more time. Biblical love is what I do because of what's been done. What does this mean? It means this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You know why we love? Because we're going to get a great reward? No. We love because God first loved us. We are sacrificial in our love. You know why? Because Jesus sacrificed for us. I love because of what's already happened. Not to gain anything, but because of what's already been done in my life through Jesus Christ. Now I do it for others as well. I love because of what's been done. It's what I do because of what's been done. Jesus died for you, and he died for me. Even though in the garden he wanted a different way, but he wanted the best for us, and so he gave all he could possibly give so that we might know the Father. And then he says, okay, now, You probably don't have to die on a cross for people, although some did. But I want you to love. It's the whole fulfillment of the law. It's everything I've been trying to tell you from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Love one another. Love the people. Show grace and mercy, even if you don't want to. Because that's how God loves us. Father, (laughs) our English language messes us all all up. I just, the word hope that we cross our fingers over, and Father, has nothing to do with that. And the word love that we think is an emotion or a feeling, and Father, has nothing to do with that either. Father, you sought the best for us and sometimes what happens is we take that and we just we hold on to it and we forget to pass that on to someone else. And Father, for many of us, we're just learning how to love like this. This isn't just something that happens. We understand that. We'll talk about that more next week, Father, as you reveal to us what, what we have to do and what it looks like. Father, thank you for the love that has set us free 
And Father, now continue to teach us that this is what we need to be doing. This is what the journey is really about. And Father, we have so much to learn. But Father, you'll be gracious and patient with us. And we want to thank you, Father, so that one day we can really be known here as the church and the people within the church are people of faith and people of hope, but also, most importantly, people of love who express your mercy and grace to those around them, just as you've expressed it to us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Caleb.